Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Good morning to you. My name is Joe. I'm one of the partial team here. And uh, today we're going to pick up in our series on Hebrews. We are in week six. Wow, kicking on. And as I was thinking about this week and as I was kind of reading through the passage that we're going to cover this morning, I was reminded, uh, and many of you may have been in this position before too, uh, I've not done a lot of international travel, but I've done enough to know that you know, when you get onto that plane finally, you've been waiting in line, you get on there, you get your seat, you get up and down a few times as people shuffle past you, you get all your stuff kind of stowed, you kind of get all your, your book, your magazine, your device, whatever, you kind of get settled and then they start doing the spiel, right? The emergency spiel, there's the card and there's the thing and the life jackets and the whistle and everything. And you kind of, if you've flown before, you're kind of like, yep, yeah, cool, good, just back to my book, back to my magazine. You kind of just get used to it, right? I remember the first time I was leading a, a mission team overseas and um, the flights had been booked for us and we were booked on an airline that between when we booked them and when we flew, they had the unfortunate um, experience of losing a few aircraft and we're like, whoo, and this is my first, leading, first time leading a team overseas on this particular airline and it changed the way that I sat in that spiel. <laughs> I've got four or five other people with me that I'm there to look after. Their parents have dropped them off to the airport and said to me, make sure you bring them back safe. I'm like, ah. And so I listened with everything that I had. I counted the rows between me and the exits. I worked out the quickest ways to get there. I knew where everyone was sitting. I paid absolute attention because the brevity of the situation was not lost on me. I paid a whole lot of attention because the stakes were a whole lot higher than I had realized previously. And as we get to today's passage in Hebrews, the author is writing to a bunch of people who aren't new believers. It's not their first time kind of being around other Christians, but maybe they've just become so familiar with what's going on that they kind of stopped listening. Maybe they've kind of just so familiar with all of this that they've just kind of just come off the boil a little bit. Like, yeah, 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 I've heard it before, I'm all good. Missing maybe just the sheer enormity of how good God really is. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to jump into a passage that looks just at that kind of idea. So we are at week six, so it's probably timely to do something like that because you're probably either really loving this series or you're entirely bored with it, so it's probably a good time to go, okay, pay attention, it's time to listen again. Um, now, just remember, as we've been going through this series, we've been encouraging you, dig in for yourselves. Hopefully, you've been listening to our Hebrews uh, podcast series on our Bible Streams podcast. Another episode comes out on Tuesday, covering chapters 8 through 10, which is a pretty big and important section. So make sure you listen to that. The link is in your show notes. No, the link is in uh, your outline. That's a joke for those who listen to it. Okay, that's just, that was a little test to see if you listen to our podcast. There's just a link right there. You can find all the information you need. Um, also, I encourage you to get a study Bible to, to look up all the cross-references and all that kind of stuff. And I'd actually encourage you, 
this is kind of spoilers to where this message is going today. I encourage you to actually, when you do your, your Bible reading, maybe try actually reading it in a paper Bible. I've been um, experimenting with devotions on my phone and a paper Bible when I've been doing my kind of quiet times. And it's really interesting how you engage with everything differently when you open a book. Slow down a bit. There's hardly any notifications pop up on the page while I'm looking at it. It's like David's in soul service. Oh, Josh McIntosh just posted a photo. No, it doesn't happen in, in, my, in my Bible. It just makes you engage with God in a whole different way. So I just challenge you to maybe just read a little, get stuck into some paper. Okay, rant over. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that you've given it to us. Lord, we thank you that it is so accessible today. We ask that as we engage with your holy scriptures, as we see what you might have to say to us this morning, Holy Spirit, would you just give us ears to hear? Would you open our hearts? Would you refresh our minds? That as you speak through your word today, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you would stir us, that you would grab a hold of the very core of who we are and just breathe life afresh into us today. We bless your name. Amen. Okay, so grab your Bible in whatever form you have it today. No judgment in here. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 5. And the author of Hebrews is, a, is an interesting person. I, I kind of have this, I think, a similar kind of annoying character trait where I'll be kind of like mid-thought and something will catch my attention and I'll just want to start to think about that. And the author of Hebrews is a bit like that. They're cruising along, talking all about Jesus as the high priest, better than the high priesthood of Aaron. In fact, probably like this other guy, Melchizedek, and just introduces this character, this Old Testament high priest and king, Melchizedek. And you just start to hear about this. And all of a sudden he stops, or she stops and says, in this just, it's like slamming the brakes on. About this we have much to say, but it is hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. If you were here last week and heard Pastor John talking about Melchizedek, there is lots to say. There's a whole lot going on with this, and it's really significant, and it's really big. And as it turns out, to the author of Hebrews, it's really, really important and central. It's actually kind of the pivotal point of the whole message of the book of Hebrews. Jesus as the ultimate best, greatest, and most effective high priest, better than anything that's come before, the one who is able to deal with what really breaks us and holds us out of relationship with God. But we run into this little problem. The hearers are dull of hearing. In fact, literally it says your ears have become sluggish. My ears are slowing down and not paying attention. And, and this is another one of those warning passages, which I seem to have got two of them when I'm preaching, so sorry, everyone. <laughs> anyway, um, but it's a warning passage. And it says, you've become dull of hearing. This isn't a people who were always dull of hearing. This is a people who have become dull of hearing, who have stepped back, who have become so familiar with the warning spiel that they kind of just stopped thinking about other things. And so the author just wants us to stop and think. And I want to pose you a few questions today, and they're in, they're in your outlines there, and they're at the back as well for your home group discussions. But the first question I want to pose to you to just ponder on, when it comes to God, for you, where's your hearing at? 
Are you dull of hearing? Are you so familiar with singing about the goodness of God that it's kind of lost its edge? Or is there a a deep hunger in you to just know of him? Just take a moment. God, am am I listening attentively to your voice? Just take a moment and think about that. The author picks up in verse 12. He starts to unpack the ramifications of being dull, of hearing, of, being, of having sluggish ears. And they say, for by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since they are a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Interesting thought, hey? Where are you in your journey? As the the listeners of this message that the author of Hebrews has probably spoken to them, it's not only that they're not listening, but are they really growing? And that's an interesting thought because they're probably people who are under persecution. They're probably people who are getting pressure to shift. And we often just say that, well, people under persecution tend to be more passionate about their faith. But the author of Hebrews is saying, well, are you really even growing? Is it it all just too much? Are you so stuck between this way and that way, the old and the new? Are you actually even growing? What's happening in your life? In fact, that, that you know, unfamiliar with the basic oracles of God, what the language is actually saying there is you actually don't know, even know your ABCs. It's actually the alphabet he's kind of talking about. You don't know the building blocks of speech, let alone how to read sentences, let alone the deeper things, this whole Melchizedek high priest thing. Like, this is all way too complex. You guys are kind of still learning to read. But they make the point that maybe you should have grown a little by now. And the author introduces a really interesting word picture here, and it's, it's a little easy to read and just kind of skim past it in the English, but the, what it's implying is a little bit uncomfortable. It's kind of like you've grown up, but you don't really look, you haven't really developed like a grown-up. It's like you're having dinner at the family table, and you're all adults, yet someone is a fully grown adult is sitting there breastfeeding at the dinner table. That is a disturbing picture. But I think that's what the author wants us to to start to engage with. That's really uncomfortable. That's really unusual. That doesn't make sense. That's not how things are supposed to work. Yet, his warning to the listeners is, that's kind of what you're doing by not growing up into the things of the Lord. You should be hungry for the solid food, but really you're only capable of the milk. What's going on? I think he wants them to be a little uncomfortable. But then, you kind of think, okay, good, well then help us. But they don't. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. So the author now is kind of going, well, look, This is what you should already know. 
This is where you should have already been. There's a whole lot that they're trying to kind of just jam in there. And uh, if you've listened to the podcast, we unpack this a whole lot. And I'll just give you the short version now that will help you kind of get your head around what they're trying to say. But it's almost like they're just outlining all the core elements of our faith. There's those things about what it is to first meet Jesus. There's those things about repentance and faith in God. Those things that usher us into relationship with him. These are the basics of the faith. About the the washings, the baptisms actually in plural there. Talking about more than one baptism, which is an interesting idea. And the laying on of hands, that, that stirring up of the gifts, that maturing in our faith, that stepping into the reality of our identity and our empowerment with God. The author's saying these are the basic things of our faith. In fact, to the point where they talk about the ultimate glorification of the believer, the resurrection and the eternal judgment and the stepping into that eternal relationship with God. These are the basic things. These important elements are core to what we believe and who we are. So for me, this kind of posed a few more questions which I want to pose to you today. Do you feel like you know the basics of what you believe? Do you feel like you've got a grip on what it means to follow Jesus? It's okay if you don't. The author, spoilers again, the author's going to help us find a way to do this later. But we've got to be real with ourselves and work out where we're actually at in our relationship with Jesus. The third question is, if you know the basics, if you have that down, if you can tell me all about the laying out of hands and repentance and what faith is about, if you can tell me about the mechanisms of the good news, that's great. Are you using them as a foundation to launch deeper into your relationship with God? Because the author says, these are the basics. Let's, let's, just, let's lock them in. Let's not leave them behind like we reject them. But this becomes our platform to step into the, the deeper things of God. And when we have a confidence and assurance about faith and repentance and where God's taking us and how this whole thing locks together, then we needn't be worried and afraid. We, we needn't think that we're going to just drift somewhere else because we've locked in the basics and we know the foundation on which we stand. And the author of Hebrews is constantly talking about this building metaphor and this foundation metaphor and trying to help us realize that we're standing on something powerful and strong and when you can appropriate that into your life and let it come out of who you are then you have a confidence to step into the deep and amazing and mysterious and wonderful awesome things of God these questions are really important they're really significant take a moment God uh, Do I feel like I've got a handle on this? Do I feel like I'm taking what you've shown me and am I using it as a a confident stepping stone into the deeper things of you? I feel like these questions are really significant. I feel like they're really important. And I think the application on our lives, on who we are and how we live out is actually really, really significant. And this is where the tone kind of changes. The the author has been questioning and kind of pondering and then they introduce possibly one of the scariest passages of Scripture. Are you willing to jump in there with me? Some of you are, great. Others, you're going to hear it anyway, so I'm sorry. 
Your plausible deniability leaves right now. Verse 4, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land has drunk the rain, the land that has drunk the rain, that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. That's scary. Like, oh, that's quite sobering. Like, this becomes really real. Like, God, what's going on here? Are you really saying through this author that we can step out of that relationship permanently? Can we lose our salvation? Is that what you're saying? So first and foremost, before we step any further, I really don't want to have a conversation with you about this after the service. (laughs) If you're really burning to have a conversation, Pastor Ryan is for your pastor, and he will talk about losing your salvation or not all day. Go see him. But what I want to talk about in the context of this is kind of what I talked about a few weeks ago when I was looking at that warning out of chapter 2. Because what I think the author is getting at, and as we see as we move into this next section, I don't think he's saying this has happened. I think what the author is saying is, be warned, but this isn't true of you. But the point is, if Jesus really is so much greater... If we look at where this warning sits in in the context of of the whole kind of argument, the whole kind of proposition that the author is putting together, as they build this, this idea that Jesus is bigger and better and the ultimate of anything you can possibly imagine and the only way to know God and the only thing, the only one who's going to set you free, why would you muck around with that? Why, why would you play brinkmanship with God? And I find it very interesting that all the language that the author uses there is all experiential language. You've tasted, you've seen, you know, not just in your head, but you've encountered this amazing God that you have said you're in relationship with. Wow, this is an experience. This is the Christian New Testament life in the spirit. If you've you've lived it out, then why would you step into anything else? It's kind of like that that passage a few chapters ago in chapter 3 and 4. It talks about rest and there's an invitation to rest. But if you reject the invitation, then what rest is left for you? It's kind of building and building the intensity of the warnings. And there's another one in chapter 10, which, thank you, Lord, I'm not preaching. Phew. But but the author just builds the intensity of these warnings to the point where, and this is what really caught me as I read this this week, it's like, you know, we can, we can in those earlier chapters, in chapter 3 and 4, where we're talking about rest, we're talking about the promised land and the invitation into the promised land, we talked about those spies, those 12 spies, and two said, yeah, we're in, and 10 said, no, we're out. And the author's like, are you going to be like them today? Will you be like the two or the ten? Will you enter into God's rest? Will you not be like those faithless Israelites? Will you be obedient and step into rest? In this passage, the author's kind of saying, 
If you reject Jesus, then you're kind of being like the Pharisees and the Romans who crucified him. Which side do you want to be found on? Do you want to partner with those who are against the Lord? Or do you want to be with those who support and glorify and are blessed by the Lord? How much more is it essential that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? And then we get this other illustration there, this, this weird little picture of the land with thorns and with good fruit. And I think it, it's kind of, it's important, this little section for us. It's important for me as a, as a, as a leader in this community. It's important for each of us over in our areas of influence and sway as, as we um, lead and as we disciple and as we input into others' lives. Because the author brings out this, this little picture, like the rain falls on the land and it produces fruit. And some of the fruit is good. It's good fruit. God's going to bless it. And some of the fruit is bad. And it belongs in the fire. Sounds awfully like some of the stuff Jesus said. Sounds a bit like Matthew 13 when things grow up, the wheat and the tares. It sounds like when Jesus was talking about what's going to be be spared through the final judgment. But I think that the encouragement and warning for us is... Don't judge by the external appearances. But when those who are truly in relationship with God start to live it out and his blessing falls, then the fruit of his kingdom will start to be produced in our lives. We can never really tell if someone's in or out of relationship with Jesus. It's between you and him. It's between me and him. You can't really tell. I can fake it till I make it, but I'm not going to make it if I fake it. But really, ultimately, it's between you and God. And so the warning from the author is, make sure. Make sure you're investing in that relationship. Don't fall away. Don't drift away. Don't let fruit that looks like the curse from the Garden of Eden start to produce in your life. And I think, as I read this, and I think what it really boils down to is this almost innocuous little phrase in there. It says, um, it talks about have you, you've shared with the Holy Spirit it says you've tasted the gift, you've shared in the Holy Spirit. But that word there isn't the normal word used for shared. It's actually, it kind of means, are you a companion of the Holy Spirit? Like the disciples were companions of Jesus. And for me, it just clicked it all together. How do I stay in this place of softness towards him, of, of not being hard of hearing, not being kind of immature in my growth? How do I continue to stay in that place? And it's the simplicity of just being a companion of the Holy Spirit. Just walking with him, just knowing him, being soft to him. By constant practice of being in his presence, letting him speak to us and awaken our ears. Letting his goodness and his mercy and the forgiveness that he brings when we step into a place of repentance just start to refresh us, refresh us and restore us. So my fourth question for you this morning. Are you a companion of the Holy Spirit? What would it look like for you to stay in close step with him? What's the fruit in your life that reflects his presence? Take a moment. Ask him.
So we come to the last part of our passage for today. Verses 9 through 12. This is kind of like the, the, the compliment sandwich part. That was pretty hard, wasn't it? That sucks to hear, but here's where you guys are. And in my heart, I feel like this is the encouragement and the invitation for us today. The author says this in verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Wow, that's good. Phew, right? Oh, that's not us. Phew. We're not stepping away. We're not, we're not, we're not becoming hard of hearing, dull of hearing. But I love that the author introduces a particular word right here. And I think it's really significant. It's only used once in the whole letter to Hebrews, and it's used right here, and it's the word beloved. Beloved. This isn't the case with you, beloved. I mean, start to hear it, start to embrace it, start to let the Holy Spirit speak this word over you because it speaks to identity. It speaks to purpose. It speaks to knowing who God is and letting him love you. When we step into this place of wanting to grow, of having to constantly practice to hone our spiritual senses to reflect his goodness and his mercy, beloved, beloved, you are beloved. Just look at that person beside you and tell them they're beloved. If you didn't do it, tell them now because they need to hear it. Go tell the person beside you they're beloved. (laughs) It's so important that we know who we are in this. If we're going to step into this place of an invitation to constantly practice the presence of God, the reality of who he is, to be companions of the Holy Spirit, to, to not muck around with these things where we're playing brinkmanship with God, but to stay in this place of softness and attentiveness to the leading of the Lord, then knowing who we are is so significant. And the author kind of says it in the negative, is God is not so unjust as to ignore your works. What is the author is trying to say, God is righteous. God is just and watching. He sees what you do. He's so proud of you. He loves the way you continue to be faithful in your service. It's not like you're not doing the things in keeping with salvation, but there's an optimistic challenge on the back of a heavy warning. Will you keep growing? Will you keep doing what you're doing, not out of, out of an immaturity because you think that's what brings you into relationship with him, but will you let your heart mature and grow in him so that the works you do that God sees you doing aren't just because you're a slave to him, but because you become a friend of him. It looks a whole lot different when I'm doing something for God out of obligation or when I'm doing something for God out of love and intimacy. It might be the same experience for you, but the fruit in my life looks entirely different. They talk about paying attention to the foundation, to the the ones who have shown us what this promise looks like. And as we get to chapter 10 and 11, we're going to see a whole pile of these people. We're going to find these people who are inspirations that we can imitate, that we can model our life after, that we 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 can live like them. But for right now, be earnest. Be passionate, enthusiastic. Desire to grow in God. Remember... 
He's calling you to grow in him, move from milk to solid food, constantly practice what it looks like to live out of intimacy and empowerment with him. Constantly practice. And so my last question for you today, what would it look like for you to constantly practice? What would it be like to constantly seek to grow in your relationship with God? What needs to shift in your life to experience the life of the Holy Spirit so that we'll understand the oracles of God? What would it look like to intentionally practice living in intimacy with the Spirit in the light of His Word? As we learn this this morning, I was reminded of two passages that aren't in Hebrews that really kind of, for me, summed up what I feel like the author was trying to say. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 2, and it's just such an encouraging, really it's a reminder, but it's also, it kind of brings clarity to who we are and why we do what we do. In Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 10, it says, for by the grace of God, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All of this, the constant practice, the the basics of the faith, everything that we're presented with in this passage, what we're challenged with and what we're warned about, it's all a reflection of God's grace in our life. He's the one who will empower us. Things that we need to do, the things that we're going to step into, the the way that we've served one another, that we serve this community, that we worship the Lord, it's all a reflection of what we were created to do. Be encouraged when you do those things. It's just being who you're designed to be. You know, you know, when you step into those places, when you yield your life to him, when you're stepping into a place of working in the gifts that the Lord has given you, when his fruit is produced in your life, you know, you're like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be, right? You know those moments? Ah, oh, it's so good. Your purpose and your identity is in him. And remember... It's a few weeks away yet, but it kind of fits so nicely in here. By the time we get to chapter 11 of Hebrews, he rewards those who faithfully seek him. It's his desire to bless you, beloved. It's his desire to pour his presence, his mercy and his grace upon you. It's his good pleasure to reward you when you seek him, when you go after him. And so I want to pray a piece of scripture over you as we finish this morning. Would you stand to your feet? And there's this beautiful declaration out of the book of Isaiah that speaks to identity and purpose. It speaks to the reality of who we are in him. So Isaiah 60. And Isaiah declares this on behalf of the Lord over the people, the faithful ones. And he says, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness 
of your rising. When we constantly practice, when we earnestly, enthusiastically, passionately seek after him and train ourselves towards him, when we become companions of the Holy Spirit, then our hearts arise and they shine and then the glory of the Lord starts to spread through our community. So I want to pray that for you this morning. Would you close your eyes? If the Lord's just been laying on your heart, that He just wants you to press closer into Him, would you put your hand on your heart today? If your eyes are shut, no one can see if you're doing it or not. But Lord, for every hand that is on a heart right now, for every person in this room that Lord wants to just constantly practice to become a companion of you, Holy Spirit, to, to let their ears not be dull, but to be sharply attuned to your loving voice. Over those hearts right now, I just declare your words, Lord, would they arise? Would they shine? Would your glory rest upon them right now? Holy Spirit, would you come flood afresh into this place? Would you stir such a passion for your name that they would constantly practice knowing you? That they would eagerly, with deep hunger and thirst, wait upon your words. Would you open their ears afresh today? And Lord, would you give them a confidence and a boldness that the foundation that they stand on is strong and solid in you, Jesus. From that place, you're calling them deeper and deeper. Lord, would you make them restless until they seek the deeper things of you? Would you invite them into that place? Lord, bless them in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.